0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com/slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: soccer show and our latest foray into the listener questions mailbag today we're defining what makes a big club we're pitting league art against the Eredivisie, and we're building xfl style franchises her boy my name's ryan bailey joining me to do those things and answer questions and be generally lovely taylor rockwell hello
0: hello i was not really prepared to discuss the xfl or even think about the xfl ever again but here we are i'm excited to do so I had to look up what it was, Taylor, if I'm honest. Extreme football. (laughs) I mean, if it's wrestling inspired, that's
2: what you got to go with.
1: Yep. It sounded great. I miss it.
2: (laughs) Joe Lowry's here. Hello, Joe. Hello. I liked Taylor going extreme football. That brought the energy that I needed on this uh, this show. Before we started, I told you guys that I've been overdosing on AFCON footage and Jose Mourinho news. So this is a welcome change from the weird swirling thoughts that are going on in my mind right now.
0: Welcome, brother. There you go. I'll keep it oh going, Joe. I'll keep it going.
2: <laughs> it's like good. a monster truck rally in here today, Taylor. I'm enjoying it. Keep this energy up.
0: I'm going uh, to get my Mountain Dew shirt on, and then you'll see. Then you'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Graham Ruddman here in is what is either an Oxford United or a Sweden shirt. Hello, Graham.
0: Hello, Ryan. It's a Sweden shirt.
3: I don't ah. have the blonde hair anymore, so I have to uh, have to pay tribute to Sweden in some way on a daily basis, and so I'm wearing a, uh, a Sweden shirt. I need more information about the XFL, right? I, I clearly didn't do enough research on what the XFL is because I thought it was just like an alternative football league. Taylor, it was inspired by wrestling? I need more information on that, I believe please.
0: Vince McMahon was the yes, original owner correct. of XFL who started it. Vince McMahon, oh the my God. head and founder of the WWE. Uh, yeah, and and it was meant to be, I think, a sort of like... Football with attitude, I don't know if it was ever meant to truly replace the NFL, but I think their idea was they can be the modern sort of aggressive aggro league. I believe it coincides with the attitude era of the WWE when you Mm. had like Stone Cold and those guys. So it was more of an attitude football. And while a lot of their kind of sillier gimmicky ideas fell by the wayside, I do believe I'm correct in saying that many innovations in the NFL in the last like two decades or some at least came from the XFL. A lot of different camera angles and approaches to how they filmed the game, I think, were inspired by the XFL and like the Skycam and things like that. So there the Toy is Story broadcast. Also, that, yeah, yes. that was the big one. That was that was Vince McMahon from The Jump. Uh, but then there were also <laughs> sillier things like a race to get the football uh, okay. for the coin toss and other stranger rules along the way.
2: Sounds like a Jeddard PK. That's, that's what we need. Yeah, this feels like a PK project. I also know, I don't know much about the XFL either, but I do know that there have been XFL games at Audi Field. So there is some soccer crossover here beyond the listener question that we're going to get to later. Wait, hold yeah. on.
3: Audi Field hasn't been around for long. No, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, something. It, the
2: XFL has come back and there have been there multiple up. iterations. Every time it doesn't really work. Yeah. Graham, I think
0: where you maybe have some confusion is because you probably looked up the more recent iteration of the XFL. The original one was much longer ago. Then there was a recent one, which I don't even know if it's still around, honestly. And that felt, again, like it was meant to be a semi-challenger to the NFL embracing sort of different ideology, but I'm not sure that landed either. But yeah, Joe, you're totally right. Uh, I think I went to a DC game after an XFL game had been played there nice. and the field was terrific. <laughs> yeah, I'm still stuck in the inspired by wrestling thing. Like people it, bring, bringing in a chair,
3: like a cage match every so often. I might I might actually have been an XFL fan back in the day if I'd
0: been aware of it. I was alive when this was a thing, but I have never heard of this before. I Like there's a chance that they did propose. Like you can use one chair per game. Like I wouldn't be surprised if that was in the early conversation for the XFL.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to jump in here and uh, allow us to stop talking about the XFL for a little while. Uh, Why? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to it later in the episode. Don't worry, dear. Uh, but for now, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow for all our bonus content, bonus episodes, bonus videos, access to our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out. On the Patreon this week, we have an episode which we're going to recall very shortly. Which is a 90s Premier League soccer player quiz. Joe Lowry pumping his fist. He cannot wait for this. Will he score highly? Find out on the Patreon listener. Joe, dun, dun,
2: dun. I, I am excited. And listeners are going to assume, rightfully so, that Ryan suggested this idea. I believe this was my idea, trying to figure out something that would bring joy to Ryan, obviously, but something that I know virtually nothing about, um, which maybe is a bit of a surprise given what I do for a job, but the 90s were a long time ago, and all the British soccer player names sound the same. See, Oscar Bob, who could be literally any any British person. So I'm very excited for this quiz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, You're right. I came up on Monday. I forgot about that. But I'll strike down. I mean, is that not itself
0: confusing? Like, if you told me there's a player from Man City named Oscar Bob, I'd be like, so has he gotten a Brazil cap yet or what? And yeah, to hear that he he's Norwegian is an odd one. See, I, I'm with Joe. That sounds like a very
3: British. Totally. I'm like, did he know Oliver Twist or was he just a uh, close acquaintance?
0: <laughs> you know,
1: he was fictional, Graham, right? <gasps> yes,
0: <he
1: does. laughs> Wonderful stuff. When, maybe we'll learn why you pay tribute to Sweden every day. I didn't miss that detail yeah. that you mentioned yeah, earlier. What sort it's of about deal that? was
2: made with this, the Swedish parliament or whatever it is over just there? Just love Ikea. Gotcha. Great meatballs.
1: <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Indeed. A wonderful Saturday afternoon I spent last weekend in Ikea wasn't rammed with people at all anyway let's get to the question shall we brian c has been in touch uh what makes a big club what would it take for a club to lose big club status now taylor obviously it's a bit of a subjective term what makes what constitutes a big club uh, maybe we can try and establish some of those those parameters. Is it the size of the fan base that makes a big club? Is it the sa- stadium size, the amount of trophies and success, league position, the amount of game specific NFTs that are on sale? Like, there's a lot of <laughs> metrics we could use here.
0: Yeah, I think there are, and it is a very subjective question. This one, Anna, and I believe the next one, fairly subjective. I think for me, it's basically the the like cultural impact of the club, or basically how known they are and i think for like sadly i think for a club to be a big club in the present era it means consistent involvement in the champions league which automatically makes them european i think river and boca are famous and significant teams with tons of history and people know their name but they aren't pulling talent away from top clubs on the planet so i think that is a marker right there you can have a really successful team But if Real Madrid come calling, is your player staying or are they going? And I think that that is sort of a marker for me. I do think having a global following, recognized branding, uh, makes a big difference. You're going to see a Chelsea logo in Africa, Asia, America, in the supermarket aisles. I saw two yesterday, in fact. Um, And and with all that then comes like an unkillability, a too big to fail sort of thing. Look at Barcelona, look at Man United, even look at Chelsea. I think there are certain clubs that reach a size where... Short of a really dramatic downfall, it's sort of difficult for them to cease to be a big club. I struggle to think of ones that have truly managed to accomplish that negative feat. Like, I think the only way it could really happen would be relegation. Is like the fastest way. Outside of that, there's other factors as well. But I've talked plenty, so I open the floor to other people to share their thoughts.
1: Just, uh, just to pick up on something you said mm-hmm. there. Where in the supermarket and on which products did you see? These no products? people shopping. Oh, I, I saw see. two
0: different Chelsea jerseys on people shopping.
1: I see, I see. Uh, Let's I face the, it;
0: there are probably products in the supermarket as well that Todd Bowley's put there. Some Argyle branded cereal with a Chelsea. I'm not sure logo on it. who would be the biggest offender there, because I could see it being Chelsea, I could see it being Man United, I could see it being Barcelona. Well, didn't Man United have an official noodles partner in for Singapore? A while? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Are you sure it wasn't uh, just Singapore noodles, and they were actually sold in Walmart? Well, that would that would see the thing is that would limit them to an entire like uh continent whereas if you have one for each different country then you can have a bunch ah. of different noodle sponsorships <laughs> and tractor sponsorships and everything else in between Motor oil sponsor mm-hmm. they definitely <laughs> got one of those
1: uh taylor you've reminded me i was in a Publix the other day and there was a little kid in Rag. a mario goetzer shirt which wasn't was messy. quite spectacular but no it wasn't messy <laughs> i uh but i sort of said to uh, he reached for the same thing as me i said oh mario goes is a lot smaller in real life um the is it, is
0: anyone surprised that Ryan and a child were reaching for the same thing at the grocery store? <laughs> it,
1: it was chips. It was chips. Um and but his I, I thought it was quite a funny joke, but his mum looked at me like, that's not Mario Goetze you know. You know it's not him, right? I was like, Yeah, I do know that. Thanks. Have a great day. Anyway, um big clubs. Joe, what do we think about this? Say like Leeds United. Are they a big club? Because nope. by some metrics they are, but by say attainment they're not.
2: Yeah, I, I, well, I think Taylor got to this right You know, towards the beginning of his answer. There are big clubs in a relative sense in that they are still sort of, I guess, a big fish in a somewhat small pond of those now fringe Premier League top of the championship clubs like River and Boca are massive clubs within the context of the Americas, right? They are not massive clubs, Taylor, to your point, when Real Madrid come calling, all of a sudden it is very clear who is the bigger club of the two, So yes, in a relative sense, you look at even Major League Soccer, like it or not, Inter Miami are now a big club, the biggest club in Major League Soccer. They are the dominant driving force, but only within one very specific region. For me, there are three things that define a big club, and it's some combination of these three main things. It's like in a video game, right, where you're picking maybe Mario Kart, you're trying to pick your your vehicle, Some are really fast and have good speed. Some have good handling, some have good acceleration, some have really crappy acceleration, right? You pick which of these three bars you want, but you need to be registered somewhere on a couple of these bars at least. One of the criteria is history. One of the criteria is success. And the last and maybe most important criteria is money. And Taylor, this is where I think, this is how I choose to describe the cultural impact concept that you talked about. Like the size of the fan base as an example is driven By money, maybe not entirely by money, but like they're, to go back to Inter Miami, they're Inter Miami fans that didn't exist, you know, a year ago, right? Uh, For expansion teams, maybe this is like the pure economist way to think about this, right? An expansion team is existing in a lower division at times in MLS. And all of a sudden when they get rebranded or they rise up to major league soccer, there are 16,000 more fans than there were before. So money is a huge part of this. And PSG, in my mind, are a big club. They don't have a great history. They don't even have a ton of success. But they have had some of the greatest players of all time and currently have one in Kylian Mbappe in their squad. And they are competing in the Champions League and they have a ton of fans, not because they're an attractive club based off of what they've done on the field or really in the community or any of this stuff, although they have done some stuff there, but because they have so much money.
1: So by your metric there, Joe, into miami are a big club, right?
2: No. I, so not- I want to be clear. In, in a relative sense, yes, they are. But in a global sense, looking at every single soccer team in the world, they are very far down the pecking order.
1: Okay. I was just going to say, because they don't have the history or the success, of two of your three metrics, but they do have, I suppose, the economic side
2: of things. Yeah, so, right. right. It, it, it's all relative there. And I think PSG are probably the best example of a club that kind of defy a couple of those metrics, but still make up for it and more so. Because they can put together a squad for a time that has Messi, and Mbappe, and Neymar in it, and very, very few teams around the world are going to do that stuff.
0: Shots fired from Ryan Bailey at Inter Miami, the winningest team in all of Daft Punk Stadium history. Mm. How dare you, Ryan? How <laughs> well, dare you? That's true.
1: That's true. Wasn't it put on the site of the previous Fort yes. La- Lauderdale stadium, though? No, so maybe they're not even of that st- the most There the point. mutiny, <laughs> no, not the mutiny. What the fusion? The strikers and the strikers. Yeah, yeah both yeah. played there. Yeah. Maybe they won there more. Go. There you go. Graham, Tottenham, big team. Yes. So
3: I think you can take this question in whichever Ooh. way you want. <laughs> it's entirely subjective. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of had a similar process to Joe. Um, and I thought of it as like a, a Venn diagram with three circles. So yeah, I agreed. Yeah. I agreed with kind of two of his circles. So I, I had history. I had the current strength of the team. I don't necessarily disagree that money is a factor. I would just link the money to the current strength of the team rather than the fan base. And the third circle for me is is the number of fans. And I think that's probably the most important one for me. And Joe, you say that you know money leads to a greater fan base. I think that probably is true over time. But I look at Manchester City who have kind of struggled, actually, to attract more fans than their core base. I think that is changing, certainly with Haaland. I've told the story a couple of times of going to the play part with my daughter and seeing all the kids in football shirts and it tends to be PSG, Messi or Mbappe shirts or City, Haaland shirts but even until like a couple years ago that wasn't really the case and you wouldn't really see Manchester City shirts and there's obviously the number of empty seats that you see at Manchester City games for home for home matches so I don't know I, I I think money does play a factor but it's closer linked to the strength of the team in my opinion which then attracts the fans so we can go as I say we can go about this in any which way we want but yeah Spurs are a big team I as I say I think of fan bases been the most important factor. So Newcastle United, even through the the bleak Mike Ashley years, I always thought of them as a big club. Funny that Leeds United were mentioned in this discussion because they're in my notes. I still think of Leeds as, as a big club. Valencia in Spain, Schalke in Germany, all doing poorly at the moment. But big clubs so I guess um, as Joe mentions it's all relative to the sort of level that you're talking about for example TSS plus Patreon subscribers might have heard me call Falkirk who are Sterling Albion's rivals a big club and in our league they certainly are but put them in put them in the English Premier League they'd be the smallest club in that division by an absolute mile Wrexham I guess are another example of that I do think of them as a big club but that's in the context of them having been in the English yeah. lower leagues for for ages. Once they rise up the divisions, once they get the championship in Premier League, they, they're not such a, a, a big club. So, yeah, as I say, you can take this whichever way you want. It's entirely you subjective.
2: Yeah, you, you totally can. I just have a hard time, Graham, buying into the money and fans aren't inextricably linked as a concept. Like I think about Sterling Albion or Phoenix Rising or you know, Richmond or whatever, right? Like Wimbledon you know these Thanks. teams don't yeah you're welcome uh these teams don't have money and they don't have a lot of
3: fans either but like already- in the grades there are examples of teams that have had money that then don't have a huge number of fans. So to give you a Scottish example, which I know you'll be right, you will have the finger on the pulse yeah, of this example, yep, Joe. But it. Gretna, they spent a ton of money, got up to the Premier Division, they won, they they were in a cup final, they were averaging crowds of like a hundred sure. at, at their games. There so is, it needs, it needs well, ta- a
2: period of time, I think, needs to are pass they, to Are they still fans. in the Premiership, though, Graham? I guess would be my no. Question. They went bust, right? So there so is they're definitely there not a is, big club. I think, we'd all agree, an undeniable element of sustainability here. Right? You need to hover yeah. around in this area for long enough, but it just happens that the teams with the money to do that are the ones with the money to do that, right? Those are the clubs that stick around at the highest levels of the game and establish fans. You know, Man City maybe aren't attracting more fans than you know some Premier League teams, they aren't, right? But do they have more fans in the United States? Do they have more fans in the Middle East? Do they have more fans in Asia? Absolutely, right? So I just can't look past the idea of money as probably the single biggest factor. If we can all agree, and maybe we can't, which is, which is fine, but if we could all agree that PSG are a big club, and I don't, I cannot fathom how they couldn't be when they just had Messi and Neymar and Mbappe in the same starting lineup. But if we can all agree that PSG are a big club, then like we all have to agree that money is is probably the single largest driving factor to this status.
1: So, by that logic, Joe, does losing big club status happen when you lose financial clout, or when you lose league status? I
2: think. I think those things are intertwined too. And I'm curious about your guys' perspective on this because I had a hard time th- thinking of big clubs, like in my definition, right? It's a bit easier to do it with, with Grahams maybe, or, or, or someone else's. Like I had a hard time thinking of big clubs that have lost that status. For me, the quickest way I can imagine losing big club status is to lose relevance, right? And so there's a couple of things that happen when you lose relevance. You probably stopped winning, and maybe as we'll talk about with Roma and Jose Mourinho, spoiler alert for the big thing later this week, when you when you lose relevance, it's probably because you stopped winning. And oftentimes when you stop winning, it's because you've had some financial problem, right? So I think of finances and losing games on the field as being linked together. And when those things happen, that's when you're maybe at risk of losing this status. Yeah, and
0: and to to sort of echo that, I think if we look at the three categories Joe established, history, success, and money, I think when we're talking about Let's say a club has a downturn in form, maybe they're not able to spend. The question then becomes do they have a history of success? Do they have a prominent history right. in world football? And like, are they Barcelona or are they Monaco? Like, that to me is the difference. Barcelona can have financial downturns, they can have the issues they're having. They are still a club that players are desperate to leave and go play for, even if it means that they're going to be shown the door probably in fairly unceremonious fashion in a year or two or three. Whereas with Monaco, they have money, they're competing with PSG, then their owner gets a divorce and has to lose a bunch of money, and suddenly now maybe they're not spending as much. And I think they drop right back down. So I think there, there is an element of history and success and the history of success that factors into it. Uh, maybe not more than money, but when you're talking about money going away, then I think those two things rise in prominence.
3: And, and this is where I come back to, in in my eyes anyway, the size of the fan base, which I know is very difficult to, to judge, but that for me is just the most important thing. So Nottingham Forest is an example of this, a, a club that won, I want to say two European Cups yep, uh, in, in, in under uh, uh, Brian Clough and then, of course, in the in the 21st century, have more commonly been in the championship. I think they might have even dropped down to League One at some point. Don't they quote did. me on that. But anyway, the point I'm making is I've always continued to think of Nottingham Forest, not necessarily as, as a big club, not necessarily because of the success they had in the 80s, although that is a that is a factor, but because any time I would catch a Nottingham Forest game, the city ground would be sold out with, like, 30,000 fans. They're, they still seem to have that that fan base. So I'm with Joe. I kind of struggled to... Think of clubs that have lost that big club status because just the way that football fandom works, if you have success and you attract fans, those fans tend to stay for life. It's kind of a generational thing. It, it would need to be a generational change for that fan base to, to kind of shrink, I guess. The, the
0: only ones that sort of come to mind are clubs that have maybe lost it a little bit not through... Like makings of their own, like a club like Ajax or maybe the Portuguese clubs, where because of the imbalance in modern football with where the money is, where a lot of the talent ends up going. Like Ajax, I don't think are the draw, certainly that they were in the 70s. Uh, I don't think that they are at that level anymore, but they are still a big club. They are still historically significant. They are significant very much to the Netherlands and probably to Central Europe. But at the same time, you, you don't have that sort of top tier standing anymore. In terms of clubs that have had it more recently, I do think it requires relegation through your own Malfeasance, Because even there, I would say Juve uh, get relegated for Calciopoli and then come right back up and are still an institution. So even their relegation isn't necessarily going to guarantee it. Maybe a club like Leeds would be the most close to one that had a lot of status, a lot of standing, was well known, had a lot of success and then fell off entirely. And I don't think I would put them in that same category. Joe certainly wouldn't anymore because moving there is not a, a positive move.
3: Hamburg, maybe another candidate, were dominant in German football for, for a long time, just looked, looked up their average attendance. They're still averaging 55,000 fans per home game. I don't think I ever would have called
0: tier. Hamburg a big club. I understand what you mean. But I think we. Hamburg. it still goes back to like, I mean, I think the dividing point really is Tottenham. Like, that's a great point right there. That, that Graham the says Tottenham yes line, the you're on one side or the other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just because like, and I, I don't mean this to like upset Spurs fans, but but it's the reality that like, what... Are Tottenham known for? And they're known for like Harry Kane, who is no longer there. They're no and like and then really the thing that people like is Spursiness and those jokes and like maybe they're gonna be the ones who finally make it happen this year. But like it, they're sort of if you are if there are easy jokes to make like I, about the, your history or lack of success, like I don't know, it's hard for me to put them in that category when i think their players would jump to a bigger club if it were on offer i think there's like really is if you look at the super league or like if we were making an eight-team super league i don't think spurs are in there i'm not sure some teams that are in there should be in there right now but i i do think that's sort of my dividing line
2: i think yeah taylor your point is spot on we've just divided the line in different places yeah. you and i have divided it or at least we're more on this side of the line and grim's more on the other side of the line i think you and i are imagining this as. Yes, which clubs are going to be in the Super League, which clubs are at the top of the transfer market ladder, which is a pretty good indicator of who's got the most resources and who has the most relevance in a global sense. And Graham is maybe looking at it slightly more from a, either historical or just relevance in the immediate surroundings of a particular club. And I think those are both totally valid definitions. They just yeah. accomplish different things.
1: This And this, I think, shows the divide. European and American totally. attitudes towards sports. Yeah, well. my line
3: I, was my yeah. line is so much lower than yeah. Spurs for a big club. Like They're one of the biggest clubs in the world. Like, I can't yeah. think of many clubs bigger. But anyway, I guess... I, like, feel just, I mean, we, can, we
2: can think of like 15 clubs that are bigger, like right now, right? Yeah. 15 <laughs> there clubs
3: in the world. In the whole world, than 15 clubs maybe, are bigger than Tottenham. Baseball.
2: Okay, man, now I, I, I kind of want to do prob- it.
3: No, that's probably correct. The point I'm making is that still puts them in like the upper echelon of world football if there's only
2: 15 clubs that are bigger Not making the Super League eight teams not going to do it that's the line we've all agreed
1: all right let's close this one up from brian c thank you very much for that question uh big discussions over big clubs uh let's take a break actually when we come back we're gonna define another big term
0: back shortly. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> new game day shirt boom cash back food for the tailgate boom cash back even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card and yes i said debit card With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
4: Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at robinhood.com/boost. Subscription fees apply.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Stu from the Discord. Discord Stu has a question. How do you define world class in soccer? The term gets thrown around a lot, but the meaning seems to vary wildly. I recently saw someone on Twitter argue that uh, because soccer wasn't world class, which was my breaking point, says discord do uh for asking this question surely sucker is world class right 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 says Disco do with emphasis um interesting one this one graham let's try not to have a half an hour discussion about this but <laughs> for me there's there's there are ways that like is world class mean a player who could play in the world cup for example or does it mean more mm. generally they are a player who could play at a top at a big club anywhere in the world
0: Graham's right. going to be like, could they play for Nottingham Forest? If so, world-class. There we go. Julian
2: Green made the World Cup, and, and so yeah, Ryan's it's not, first stab at it can't eh, be right. We have it's to not the that first one,
0: one. It's closer to the to, to, to the latter
3: option, Ryan. Obviously, there's no clear definition of world-class, but I have been asked this before, and I have thought about it before. Actually, the reason I've thought about this before was Scotland fans got into a habit of saying we had, like, three or four world-class players in our team, and I just didn't think Aww. that was true. I thought we had one. Like, ever? Andy Robertson. <laughs> um <laughs> So, the criteria um, I didn't catch that. I'm just going to move on because I feel oh, like it's so going to hurt tough. me in some way. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, so, the criteria I've used for the last wee while is uh, top five in your position is world class for me. So, goalkeeper, centre back. Left-back, right-back, number six, box-to-box midfielder, attacking midfielder. Again, you can take this in whatever D- way you, you want. But, uh, winger, wide forward. Well, the, people could take it as, like, defender, midfielder. I think it's a, there's a little bit more nuance than just, like, four positions on the pitch. So, by that reckoning, yes, I think Saka probably is a top-five winger in the world right now. So, he is uh, he's world-class. Yeah, I,
2: I, have, I have so much confusion on how to answer questions like this. And, Graham, you got to it well. I have done on my list, I tend to use buckets of players rather than, like world-class, because Taylor, I vividly remember, vividly, you and Daryl having this discussion however many years ago now, talking about world-class, and as far as I can remember... It's made up and dumb. It's made up and dumb, is what you guys said, and at the (laughs) time I listened to it, this was before I was ever on the show, I was just sort of getting into soccer, I was like, yeah, like that makes so much sense, it is dumb, Like this is super dumb, I'm never going to use this term, and I have never used it, or at least I've tried really hard not to use it, because it is... It's so arbitrary. Like, is is Bukayo Saka a top five winger in the world? He's never scored more than 14 goals in a Premier League season. I, I don't know, probably not. Even trying to use the bucket approach seems to me like a fool's errand. Like, there are so many elite wingers in the world. There are so many elite players at every position. They all add slightly different things. I cannot, genuinely, I cannot in good conscience try to play someone like Saka on the spectrum and rank him. So I'm definitely not gonna say anybody's world-class and i'm i'm going to try really hard other than the obvious like goats in my mind at least i'm i'm going to try not to like even rank some of these people
1: okay soccer is horse collared at a world class level we can all agree Absolutely. There, surely oh oh uh, Kielin,
2: lafc's very own I mean, giorgio I'm... Chiellini sticking around ryan i thought you'd, I you'd appreciate that i still feel like maybe yeah. a dive is all
0: i'm saying <laughs>
2: yeah maybe a dive there. all right taylor any more
0: I mean, I, I was going to ask Joe, like like Joe, Joe said in the beginning, like he had a lot of difficulty answering this question or he was kind of unsure and ended up putting it into groups. Like, I, I think pausing there to be like, why is this a difficult one to answer? Yeah. Gives you the answer that like, it's not a term Joe uses. It's a term that I try not to use as well, because I think it is sometimes a, a lazy way to talk about a player if you don't have... Specific things to say about what they're good at or what they bring. If you just say they're world class, it can be sort of a catch-all term, and I think that's how it ends up getting used. So I think if I if I'm I think that's where I am with it. But if I'm answering the question, I, I don't know if it's like if they're one of the best eleven players in the world, if they're best at their position, if they're top three. I like that Graham went top five. They don't even get Olympic medals, the top five. Uh, but for purposes of this one, I think overall it's a player who on their day can sin- single-handedly win a game. And not just a like an amateur team or a USL team. I think it has to be in a major competition, in a top competition, in a World Cup, in uh, in the Premier League or in the Bundesliga or the Champions League. If there's a player who, when they are just unplayable, as we say, like they can make that difference, Messi did and does this all the time. Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo did this all the time. I think Saka can. I think Salah can. I think Harry Kane can. They can be difference makers, even if you mark them, even if they do nothing else in the game for 80 minutes, they can find a way to score. They can find a way to have an impact. And to me, that is a difference maker between a very good player and a world-class player. But with that said, it's still not a phrase I like to use. And I would point out to Stu that... If this is coming from a Twitter argument, right there, maybe that that's the sign that you should yeah, uh, not put yeah. too much weight behind that disagreement.
3: It's, it's just a term that people use to des- to describe like a really good player, right? Like a top yeah. quality player. I probably have said "world class" at some point in my life, but it's not something I tend to say. But when I when I'm thinking about it, there in articles, I do use the term like top quality, like a top quality centre forward or a top top, top, so I top guess player. You did decide, a top you? top top player, yeah, Harry yeah. Redknapp style. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it's not something that I tend to use because it sounds like a categorization and categorizing players in that way is just kind of impossible.
1: I don't love it because to me it sounds like a marketing term, basically. It sounds like when in a car commercial when they said we've got best in class for MPG.
0: It's like, it's, it's just a... Show know. me your working. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. <laughs> Show me your working. So I, but see, actually, that example, like I would be down for that if it was like he is a world-class finisher with his left foot. Like, if you want to get into specifics, he's a world-class dribbler under pressure. Like, at least you're giving me a category to then think about. But when you're just like, oh, he's a world-class player. I think that's... So if it was like, it's a it's a top-in-class car. I'm like, I, that, I don't know what that means other than that feels like branding to me. And that sort of is where I have frustration with that term versus a conversation I'd be interested in. Who's a world-class... Who is the world-class set-piece taker? Like, that. that, I think you can have a conversation because at least you're having a specific category, a specific way of looking at it. All right.
1: Stu, thank you very much for that one. We go now to Cheeky Backheel, who's got a question for Joseph. Uh, Joe, does your assertion... Anyone else can answer this, by the way. Joe, does your assertion (laughs) that the difference between the French League and leagues like the Dutch League being a matter of the former having PSG, does that kind of suggest that at this moment, the number nine position for the US should be totally up for grabs between Balogun... And Pepe. Now, this isn't as big a logical leap as it first may sound when I've read out this question. Essentially, we're reading this as PSV and Monaco being the top two teams if we discount PSG from those two respective leagues. The idea being they're two similar, similar level clubs in similar level leagues. Does that mean that's the number nine fight?
2: Yeah, so I I also read this at first you know, the other day and thought, man, this is a big jump that we're making here. But I, I see where this is going. It's just not going where I thought it was going to go. I'm just happy that my my assertion about like the Eredivisie and maybe even the Portuguese league not being that far off from Liga outside of PSG is catching on because I I think that is so obvious and it's really frustrating to me that that at times Liga just gets looped in with the other big leagues in the world when it it's not really that way. It doesn't really work that way, but. Uh, I think it is up for grabs, the number nine spot to to finish out where where Cheeky Bacchus is going here. I think the nine spot is up for grabs with Balogun probably having the inside track, but not just because of the quality of each of their leagues, right? I don't think that's how you make player assessments or at least individual player assessments. Joe Scalley plays in a better league than Serginho Dest, right? Serginho Dest playing for the best team in the Eredivisie. The Bundesliga is, is a very strong league, almost from top to bottom, right? Joe Scally plays in the Bundesliga for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He plays in a better league than Serginho Dest. I don't think there's many folks out there that would argue that, but there are even fewer folks, probably in the USMNT fan base that are clamoring for Scally to leapfrog Dest into the starting lineup, right? I, those people do exist, but they're not the majority by any stretch of the imagination. I bring up that example to say there are good players in bad leagues, and bad players in good leagues. And Joe Scalley's is not a bad player in a good league, and Destin isn't a good player in a bad league, but there are levels and degrees to all of this. The transfer market mostly gets it right by assigning kind of the best players going to the better leagues, but it's not a perfect indicator or like divier of talent, right? It doesn't divvy up the talent perfectly. So in Pepe versus Balogun, in, in any of these like national team comparisons, or when you're scouting players, I think you just have to go and watch the player. Like, go and go and see what they're doing. Yes, yeah, someone in a better league is probably going to get a bit more consideration from the jump, but if they're not a good player and the transfer market has kind of failed in allocating them to their, their appropriate level, like, go and, and watch the tape, right? You can make arguments for and against both of these players. Ricardo Pepe, he hasn't started a single Eredivisie game this yeah. year. Not one, right? Forland <laughs> Balogun hasn't been as effective or as efficient, I should say, with his goal scoring. So, like, you can make arguments against, you can find things to poke holes in each of these players' case, but the reality is each player brings things that the other doesn't. And that would be true regardless of the league that they're playing in.
3: Yeah, I agree, Joe. The, th- the thing with um, Cheeky Backheel's question, which by the way, is that your like alter ego when you're at like in the press tribune, like, call me Cheeky Backheel? It would be like, Cheeky Backheeled and...
2: after Backheel.com, but you know Cheeky Backheel, I, sh- I should work on the business cards. Right? <laughs> Um, so the 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 question
3: kind of implies like a hypothetical situation where the 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 number nine position would be up for grabs between Balogun and Pepe. Is that not the reality? No. Is that not what it is I, right I now? I, mean, I, know I don't think Balog- it's
2: implying a hypothetical situation. I think it's I think Cheeky suggesting like should that not be the case? And I also happen yeah. to think it's pretty much the reality, like I said. But I do think I think Cheeky is trying to use like the league situation. As a question about maybe how we evaluate players think, in this spot.
0: I think, Graham, I think maybe what you're getting at, because I, I think I agree, is the idea that like it does seem as though it is Balogun and then Pepe, and it is a sort of st- a stratified division. And it feels like Tiki Bakiel is saying basically, should it be closer, should it be more of a debate because they're both playing at a similar level? And I think there is a world in which it is seen sort of as Balogun is the number nine, and then yeah. there's other contenders for it. I think that was the case... When Balogun first started playing for the U.S., it felt like that was the way it was going to go. With the success Pepe has had and how the goals he scored for the U.S., it does seem like it is a closer competition, yeah. uh, and maybe that's where some of the confusion lies. Yes,
3: yeah, so I think there's probably nuance in the question, but as I see it, that if you're deciding who the number nine is for the U.S. right now, it is, a, it is kind of a straight choice between Balogun and Pepe, and Balogun has started the last six games that he's been available for, so clearly Berhalter doesn't see it as that close. So I understand maybe the question is implying that it should be closer. Um, but yeah, I agree with everything that Joe has said. It's not really about evaluating the leagues. It's about evaluating the players and the, and also the kind of how they're doing for for teams. Uh, you're right, Joe Pepe hasn't started a single game in the Eredivisie this season. He has kind of made a bit of an impact off the bench totally. in games. And he scored that winner in the Champions League against Sevilla. I think that was a way to Sevilla. Um, whereas Balogun... You know we've spoken about Balogun at Monaco this season and how he's having to adapt to a team that plays a different way to to how Rem played last season and he's doing okay but he he does need to up his scoring rate. He's only scored four goals this season and it is slightly worrying that. Uh, Adi Huter, who's the the manager, it's kind of shifting him around a little bit. He's been he started off the season as like the front man for Monaco, and then Ben Yedder was brought in as someone alongside him. And then the, the last game against Rem, actually at the weekend, which Rem won against Monaco. Funnily enough, he it was Ben Yedder as kind of like a number ten, and 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 uh, Balogun was a, a part of a front too. So. That concerns me. It kind of feels like he's scrambling a little bit to find the right solution for Fal- on for Balogun. But even when taking that into account, it feels like Balogun is ahead of the, the pecking order. Just because if Pepe started firing in, like, if he if he's he scored 10 goals between now and the end of the season for PSV, then the situation might be different. But with Luke de Jong scoring goals for fun and the way that PSV play as well, they're very much built around de Jong as the focal point. So even though Pepe is a good option, he does kind of feel like a Plan B for that team. If that were to change, then yeah, maybe the the situation with the USMNT changes. But in my eyes, it's still it's still Balkan shirt.
1: Okay, Graham, you've just reminded me that Monaco's Monaco's coach is named Adi Hutter, and that in 1970 his parents went with Adolf in Austria. Mm. There, yeah, sure, cool. Chicky Hill thank you very much for that question. Uh we go now to Shreas Romani, uh who asks, Who is a player whose stock you still hold some shares of, even though their career arc has long Love this since. Question. I become... do too, Graham. Oh yeah. <laughs> for example, says stress I'm holding on to hope that Kevin Morales becomes Kevin De Bruyne uh, light at Everton. Uh Graham, my obvious answer here is Lucas Paquetar for me. Still, I'm still. I think I'm the major shareholder. Still, the major investor
2: in Lucas. See those Pecatao. shares might still pay off. Yeah, just he's not a bad player. Your prediction for the, you're, yeah, you're for the World Cup was just terrible. That's the that's yeah. the thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think I thought Qatar would be a springboard <laughs> to become uh, a big club, top top top, top player, Joe. According uh, uh, to You were wrong. Yeah. About world class. That. That's world that class. Big sure. club player is what I expected, and it hasn't quite come off. I know he's he's uh, he's very very good, but maybe uh maybe he hasn't had the arc I expected personally.
3: You're expecting Ballon d'Or's and Ballon d'Or. Yeah,
1: indeed. <laughs> indeed. Not not just yet anyway, Graham, Who who who's uh, who, who are you holding stock in?
3: See, see I've gone in at a lower level. Players who have kind of their careers have panned out and now, and didn't pan out in the way that I thought it would. So Adnan Yanezai was a big one for me. Oh, and yeah. I just thought I just thought he was going to be Maynard's next guy. And, and and keep in mind that this was just after Ferguson left. So yeah, they had that bad season under David Moyes, but I naively thought, you know, Maynard's next season or a couple of seasons from now, they'll be competitive again. They'll recover. They're rich. And they didn't have this kind of Track record of crushing every young player that signs for them, like they do now. I just thought he was absolutely fantastic, and and he hasn't had a bad career. Like he's he's done okay. I remember he was doing okay for Real Sociedad. Not not um, now he's not there anymore. But yeah, he never he never flourished in the way that I, I thought he would. Is he
1: still doing things?
3: Um, I don't know where he is, but he's not at. Um, Real Sociedad. He's at Sevilla. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I have not seen a lot of him for Sevilla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Taylor, your pleasure you hold stock in. I think, do we both have a mutual love of Dries Mertens? I know I certainly do. I think I still believe... He's at the uh, Island of Misfit Toys of Galatasaray
2: now.
0: I mean, I so. was going to say, uh, Adnan Yanozai also spent some time in, in Turkey as Wait, well. That does
2: feel is, like a how sign. How is Gries Merton's career not a success? Like, how yeah, did that go much, much higher than up. me, Ryan? We're learning <laughs> that Ryan is just really good at trading stocks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh,
1: what, why
2: I love I, so high? I have a couple,
0: uh, two that are now retired, but for the longest time I kept hoping and thinking would come good. We're John O'Brien for the U.S. after he has kind of the breakout in 2002. I thought for sure this guy's going to be the future. He's the one we build around. He's going to be our first superstar, and we do not reach those heights, obviously due to injury. And similarly, Owen Hargraves is a player that I thought was going to make that jump to make Manchester United even better than they were. And he scores a critical penalty in in the shootout that they win in the Champions League. But then it really does fall off. He continues to have injuries and it doesn't really go anywhere. And those are two that I just even with Hargrave sort of semi retiring, I thought like, yeah, but give it a couple months and we'll see him come back. I just thought he was going to be so good, I think, because at the time he was playing uh, for Bayern Munich, when Bayern Munich like weren't sort of the Bayern Munich we've come to know today. So it felt just a little more mysterious to bring in this guy who could be really good uh, on a Man United side. Eric Bailly is one that I thought was going to be like the next vintage. I thought he was going to come in and be this physically dominant defender who would be a leader and a vocal presence in the locker room and then would also kind of round out his game and become world class or an institution for Manchester United. Uh, he goes to Marseille. He gets a seven game suspension. Besiktas, he moves on a free and is kicked out of the squad. He's now with Villarreal. He's 29 years old. And I still think he could be. That defender that like makes a jump and has a season or two where he is exceptionally good, but it also feels like we kind of know who he is at this point. And Joe, here here's one that I think is a little bit riskier because he's very young. But like C- Cade Cowell is flirting with mm. this designation a little bit for me because I I think when he comes onto the scene, you see the raw ability there, you see the talent. But there is a sort of one-track mind to his game, and there is a bluntness to his game that I think you can have as a youngster. But then as you age, you evolve, you adapt, you add new skills, you add new abilities, you see the game differently. I'm not sure he has done that fully. Maybe nope. this move will help him do that. But but he is one who I have a lot of stock in, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe we know who he is.
2: Yeah, that's that's a great one, Taylor. I saw an interview with Kate Cowell, and there's a whole thing because Kate Cowell doesn't speak Spanish going to Chivas. And so oh all of the, all the interviews with him are, oh are no. in English with Spanish subtitles. Or at least they're going out on the Chivas, you know, English account. Or whatever oh it is, right? And it's this just is like describe it's going to go uh, so, describe, poorly. It's uh, no, go so it, poorly. It's all well, at least this interview was fine. But he's asked the question, like, describe your game in one word. And the word he picks is correct. But he chooses fast, which is absolutely right. But I think that is like the perfect indicator of his game right now. There isn't much more to it than fast and strong when it comes to Cade Cowell. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how the interpersonal dynamics of that Chivas move go for, for the yeah. for the youngster. But uh, a couple of players pick, on my pick list. Pick another word. Uh, quick. Pick a third word. Athletic. <laughs> Speedy. <laughs> Surfer <It's> dude. <laughs> Hyphenated. Um, I, at the top of my list is Emre Moore. I don't know if anybody else here remembers Emre Moore. I have yes, very sir. fond memories of watching Christian Pulisic, Ousmane Dembele, and Emre Moore Three dynamic, young, attacking players, clever, creative, good on the dribble, suiting up for Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga like in 2016 or 2017, whatever that would have been. And I thought they were all going to make it. Pulisic was the one I was most skeptical about just because I didn't want to let my bias get in the way. Dembele, I was sure. So maybe he's on this list. Dembele, I was sure he was going to be like the best winger in the world, right? He was unbelievable as a young player for Dortmund. Uh, That hasn't really panned out, but he is still obviously very good. And Christian Pulisic went on to do Christian Pulisic things. That feels about right. And Emre Moore, I thought, was going to be the dude. He's still just 26 years old, but was with Dortmund, like I said. Then Celta Vigo. I was like, oh, no, this is the one. Then Turkey. Then Greece. He's now back in Turkey with Fenerbahce. He's played for huge clubs. His first Turkish club was Galatasaray. And his only Greek club was Olympiakos. So he's done done a lot in his career, but just hasn't panned out like I hoped it would. Gideon Zalalem is the American player that I still just can't get over, man. Uh, Arsene Wenger did me dirty on this got my hopes up and Gideon Zalalem didn't end up panning out he's currently still in the Dutch second tier but he was back in MLS for a while he was back in the US for a while with SKC and NYCFC and that never worked out and then went back across the Atlantic just never turned into what I think a lot of people myself included thought he could be when he was with Arsenal as a youngster and then quickly two other names Uh, these are super random but I remember when I was a bit younger, and certainly before I was starting to work in this space, and I know this dates me a little bit. But when Gerard Feo and Jesse Rodriguez or Jesse Rodriguez were like hyped as at least I saw an article at some point that hyped them as you know the new Messi versus Ronaldo, and for some reason that was uh-huh. the one that I hung on to. And Feo never turned anything for Barcelona, and Rodriguez never <laughs> turned into anything for Real Madrid. He did get a stop at PSV, a PSG, excuse me, along the way. Uh, but now Delafeu is at Udinese and Rodriguez is in Brazil, so that did not work out for me.
1: Is it? Hesse, is it he went to Las Palmas as well, I think. I yeah. believe so. I yeah, he was in yeah.
2: Spain and the lower rungs there.
1: Yeah, because I, I went um, with Sergio Ruiz there, and I don't I can't remember if I told the story, but like we were going through the parking lot at the stadium, and he, and Sergio says, "That's Hesse's Lamborghini. We're not allowed to go near that." And he he's driving like a little compact at this point. Bless him. Thank you, yeah, Fiorentino Perez. Very nice, <laughs> indeed. Very cute. Um, Graham, will you give me Bernard, uh, the Brazilian? Who I yes, thought, yes, of was, course. Yeah. I, I really expected him to. Oh, 2014 World Cup, I suppose, was where I thought he would start his thing. When he was at Shakhtar, going bossing it in the Champions League, then ended up uh, Everton, and I think he's in Greece now. Yeah, he's 31. He's only 31 now. Can't believe it. Wow.
3: Yeah, I would have thought he'd be older than 31, but yeah, Bernard is, is, is definitely fair. I'll I, thought, I thought for sure you were going to say like Mbappe or something like <laughs> that. Hasn't won a Ballon d'Or yet, <laughs> writing him off as a failure. We give me uh, sucker, please?
1: Anyway. So, uh, let's, uh, take, no. let's take a break. Thank you very much for answering that question. As always, when we come back, we're talking uplifting stories and we're getting to that XFL chat back shortly.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Shopify who would like to remind you that not everyone can be Erling Haaland or Harry Kane. I would say only Erling Haaland and Harry Kane can be Erling Haaland and Harry Kane, but more to the point... Not everyone can score the number of goals that those two score. Not everyone can set the goal-scoring record. Sometimes you've got to be the teammate. Sometimes you've got to be the assists uh, person. You've got to be Kieran Trippier or Kevin Bruyne. you got to spread the ball around. you got to help facilitate that attacking play and those goals to help get the results you want because you need that perfect teammate. And when you need a perfect teammate when it comes to growing your business, Shopify has you covered. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage that feels like a good stage to be at Shopify is there to help you grow along the way. How do they do that? Well, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. You can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So you don't have somebody kind of following you around the online store just saying, can I help you, can I help you, can I help you? Nobody needs that in real life or online, but Shopify's AI gets the job done. And that is a very unique Aspect of Shopify that no matter how big your business is, and that's something I really appreciate. You can be a, a podcast just starting up, a podcast that's been here for a while, or a business that actually makes money. Either way, uh, Shopify is going to help you because that's what they are all about. Sign up for just $1 per month uh, trial period at slash TSS, all lowercase. Uh, one more time, go to slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan Graham and Joe. Just kidding.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Robert Cordova has been in touch and asks, what does Total Soccer Show think was the most uplifting story of 2023? I had to think long and hard about this, Tate. Yeah,
0: it was Uh, depressing. It was a little (laughs) depressing, I'm not going to lie.
1: The one I came up with was Napoli's Scudetto win. Um, Being their first one since 1990, you know, 30-something years in waiting. Naples, uh, you know, depressed area in italy in the south routinely mocked by the big teams in the north so for them and i know graham went down to naples at that period of time as well as did i it felt very special for them and the way they celebrated uh, f- uh from all the stories i've heard of the way they celebrated in 1990 quite similar situations uh that felt very uplifting for the region and for you know i think soccer as a whole breaking that hegemony of the bigger teams to get a scudetto win i thought that was great
4: I,
0: I had them on my list further down, largely because of how it's gone since then, which is maybe an unfair way to judge them. But that is the first thing that came to mind is like, everything's great, except now they're all in fighting and the coach is gone and they don't seem to like each other and they're not very good. So it, like, it, like, I think that's a great point, Ryan. And I think, uh, like, personal feeling factors into this a lot. So I, I'm glad that that is one for you. I, I really struggle to think of one that came to mind just like, organically. So I, I started doing some Google searching and some reading and was just struck by how the biggest stories last year were all like Saudi takeover, City winning the treble, Chelsea spending money. It was not the most like uplifting plucky underdog. Girona is doing it. Oh, wait, they're not really a plucky underdog. So the two that I landed on, Genuinely one might be Houston winning the US Open Cup. Because beating Miami is 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 a good story. It's already a good story, but it's Ben olsen's redemption arc. It's Houston finally doing things. It, it's a team that has not had much success, finally having some success. That does feel uplifting, and it's a reminder of why the US Open Cup can be important. And then the the biggest one for me, even though at the same time it's another depressing story, is uh Spain winning the Women's World Cup and then yeah. the players basically using that cachet to make changes happen at the top level. Uh, Luis Rubiales, I believe, is now banned for three years, the former head of the Spanish FA. And it feels like that doesn't happen if they don't win the World Cup um, for a variety of different reasons. But I think that is a positive story for what happened on the pitch and then off, off of it as well. Nice. Graham, where'd you land? Yep so I've
3: got um three suggestions two kind of like non-footballing suggestions then uh, one footballing suggestion so Taylor um I had Spain and kind of included in a broader women's world cup section where I'm thinking about the number of teams who just essentially stuck a middle finger up to people who deserved it so I'm thinking about Jamaica and then Colombia and then of course it ends with the Luis Rubiales scandal and the way that Spain are still able to perform with that stuff as a backdrop and how they are able to get him out of the federation. So that's on my list. Going all the way back to the start of 2023, I had to check that this was 2023, uh, and it was. I think the return of Sebastian Hilaire after eight months out due to uh, a tumour has to be up there. The fact that he was back for the second half of that season was just incredible and that he came so close to winning a title. I do wonder if Dortmund get over the line, that might be kind of higher in our consciousness if Dortmund end up winning the title because it doesn't have, unfortunately, it doesn't have that kind of great, glorious culmination for him. But I, I think just him being back in football is, is makes makes this list. And then um, in a footballing sense, uh, Luton Town, I think, was a, an uplifting story. I, I don't think people, or most people anyway, have a grasp on just how much they are overachieving. Um, they have the 55th biggest budget in the English football pyramid Wrexham have a bigger budget than Luton Town they, they would Wrexham. have they have yeah big club Wrexham, Wrexham they would have the, and if they were in the championship this season, Luton would have the smallest budget in the championship, they had the second smallest cha- budget in the championship last season when they won promotion and, uh, and yes they might end up going back down but it feels like they're kind of growing into the Premier League a little bit and they have that tiny little weird stadium with the terrace houses and they're not owned by an oil baron and they've gone all the way down to the bottom of the pyramid and they come back up again so At a time, to Taylor's point, um, at a time when a lot of football stories seem to be related to sports washing and points deduction, there's a lot of depressing stuff out there. I think
2: Luton are a a bit of a bam to that. Mm.
1: Approved. Joe, anything more to add?
2: Yeah, Graham Graham and Taylor kind of got to some of the Women's World Cup stuff. That is absolutely my biggest and best and most uplifting story in a soccer sense of 2023, using that World Cup as sort of like a blanket category for a few of the stories that Graham mentioned. Spain winning the whole thing is a great story with... Without any of the off field stuff, but winning amidst adversity with Jorge Vilda and Luis Rubiales and all of the other, like, frankly, like ridiculously stupid and awful and wrong stuff that was in their way. Like, the fact that they did that amidst adversity, I think, is awesome. Jamaica making it to around 16 amidst, like, a a continued, by the way, lack of funding from their federation. Even teams, Graham, I don't think you mentioned Haiti, and that's maybe less from like a. I mean, there are some federation difficulties there, but even just for the encouragement that is to people in Haiti who are still dealing with so many trials and difficulties of their own, Like yeah, you can toss so many different Women's World Cup-related storylines in there. Uh, obviously, the, maybe the biggest one is Vlaco no longer coaching the U.S. Women's National Team. Uh, I think that's important to note as well. Um, that's uplifting for you, Joe. Yeah, that didn't <laughs> land in the way I hoped it would, but in my heart, that is. It's, I like it's it. just underneath I like it. some of these other ones. But yeah, the Women's World Cup is, is top of my list. The, the U.S.
0: performance at the World Cup is such a strange one because it is so bad. And then the way it's received just has such vitriol behind it for non-soccer reasons. But then there is also just the idea that like Joe heading into that tournament was like, we know what it's going to be. It's not going to be good. It's going to be the same thing. And, and, I, and I get, Joe, why that would be a sort of uplifting moment for you. Are you feeling
2: better in 2024 about the U.S. women's program? It's just nice to win one, Taylor. Absolutely. I am, I am, I'm much more excited about 2024. I think I predicted a while back, I don't remember if it was for Bacchiel or if we talked about it on the show, that the US wouldn't win the Olympics. I still don't think they will, just, you know, odds are that they won't, right? But uh, I feel more optimistic about that happening now than I kind of thought I would coming into January of 2024. So, yes, I am, I'm much, much, much higher on the US this year and beyond.
1: Taylor, please don't try and rewrite history and say the U.S. had a bad performance at the World Cup. Alex Morgan made the FIFA best 11. Come on.
0: I know what you're doing, Ryan. You're trying to bait <laughs> me. And it's almost going to work, but I'm going to resist the temptation.
2: Yeah, that was probably not so good. Seven deserved. English players, four players of any other nationality, and one of them was Alex Morgan. Voted by the players! Um, yeah, we should Which stop players? letting the players vote for this stuff. Like, genuinely, yeah. that's my takeaway. It's it's <laughs> they, it's they, a tragedy. All right, Robert Cordova, thank you uh, for that uplifting question. One more
1: for this episode from Ben Sundstrom. Here we go. If you were assigned as the commissioners of a new XFL-style soccer league in America, and that's the cool XFL from 2001, the previous iteration with slippery balls, camera people in hockey gear, and in quotes, he hate me, which I understand is a reference to a particular player. Mm -hmm. who I don't know. Uh, You've each been given a team to own and run in this league. What's your gimmick? What rules do you institute? Which players, managers, or personalities do you bring in to help the league gain attention and Thrive. here we go cracking my knuckles uh my team gents is going to be called the carolina reapers we're very spicy graham Ooh. we're going to wear the belgium style shirts with flames on the sleeves like the guy fieri like shirts that. uh need to think of a sponsor maybe like a restaurant that's got like a spice or like a chili or something on the logo little <laughs> in. i have to think about that <laughs> i haven't got to that one yet uh but my gimmick for in terms of play only long balls only route one the most direct team in soccer is going to be our tagline. The most direct team in soccer. Uh, my players will get fined from playing out from the back. All everything has to go up the field. All the budget of my team is going to be spent on defence and attack. The midfield gets bypassed at all times. My hook. Yeah, this is this is my hook for the team. This is also the only team with ten-year-olds in midfield because they're not important players. They ne- they do touch the ball. Children in midfield in the Carolina Reapers. Uh, the players I'm going to have. They're all going to be, obviously, 90s and 2000s stars. I'm going to have Peter Schmeichel in goal. Peter Crouchy and Wright are going to go up top. Both Neville brothers will probably be in there somewhere. Coaches, players, player managers, we'll see. Um, the Carolina Reapers, Taylor, um, winning the xfl Star soccer league. You're welcome.
0: I mean, I feel like you kind of stole that entire plan from Wrexham, but, you know, to, <laughs> to each their own. No, uh, I, think, I think that's really good, Ryan. Uh, I... Uh, like, yours is good, mine is bad, because I misread the question. Because uh, I did not make it one individual team. I was looking more so at like what would an XFL style yeah, league that's the same, look like
3: that's the same as me but I think that just came from me not knowing what yeah. the
0: XFL is I or how
3: to read Sli- I guess is that, like, is it, that a it's, it's embarrassing he's
1: been given a team to own and run yeah. It's,
3: yeah it's embarrassing though how many things I need explained to me like mm-hmm. slippery balls are we just going to go past that Hot, camera people in hockey gear what's going on what, what was this thing
0: yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um I I do think like to the not asked question, then I'll do my best to improvise one. Uh I think the soccer tournament, uh the, the isn't that what it was called? The TST yeah, yeah. or yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um that is a good approximation of what I think this league w- would or should look like with like smaller smaller pitches, fewer players, but faster pace, and then you have ex-pros in there who care a lot, even if they claim not to, like those games got feisty quickly and were really fun to watch as a result. Uh, but if we're if we're gonna make this a real team, see, I'm just gonna be like a troll team. Uh, I'm I'm gonna have the Miami Sharks as my team. I'm just gonna steal straight from any given Sunday. I'm gonna have them challenge Inter Miami for supremacy in Miami. They're going to be coached by Al Pacino, as that team was in any given Sunday. And I think I'm gonna go the Ryan route. i I'm just gonna bring in. Uh, famous players, but then also personality. Like maybe if this were 20 years ago, Vinny Jones would get a run around and we'd see how he would do. uh, Having just filmed gone in 60 seconds, we'll get him on the pitch and see what he's capable of. But I think it's going to be, it's going to be like a team of ex bros who all similar to my, my feeling about the soccer tournament. Like, are over it but also can immediately switch into high gear and uh, like strong competitiveness, and that's the team I'm going for. We're going to challenge Inter-Miami uh, by stealing the branding from any given Sunday and then bringing in a bunch of ex-pros to make it fun.
1: I look forward to seeing Vinnie Jones cut a car in half with a chainsaw while standing on the roof.
0: Yeah, that, Sunday, that's so. that's like a that's a giveaway. You get to have half the car at the end of it. It's how we nice. pull people in. I do think like Ford Madison did a really good job of this in real life of just having like like they had hacksaw Jim Duggan night. He would hit people with a two by four. So if you brought your own two by four, he would sign it. They had like Stanley from the Office night that got people in. I think bringing back some of those like seventies promotions, the disco destruction night, maybe ten cent beer night, not the way to go because I think that led to riots. But I think a lot of like. Like, sort of silly gimmicks is also a way to get people uh, in into the yeah. gates at first, and then Al Pacino's stirring speeches will be the way to make the difference.
1: Doesn't egg not night, night like in a basketball tailor is always a popular one, I find.
2: <laughs> yeah. He's get a dozen eggs.
0: <laughs>
1: Joe, what are you thinking?
2: All right, so my my team and my team's gimmick is we're playing in that floating stadium that I pitched before above Phoenix. This is a big budget operation, um, so wow. we're going to be in the, in the wrong side of the books here for a while, but... I'm sure my fellow commissioners are fine with that and they they completely trust my financial planning. Um, so we're going to be playing in that floating stadium above Phoenix and uh, the stadium is not going to be controlled for altitude whatsoever. So your team's going to be gassed coming to play my team. Um, so that's, that's the first part of this. We also have tumbleweeds that roll out onto the field. They're sort of shot out of cannons. I'm thinking sort of Mario Strikers-esque for this whole situation. Like there are going to be obstacles and, and your team's got to be ready because my team's going to train with the tumbleweed. They're going to become one. With the tumbleweed, uh, in terms of who I want involved, this is just a list of soccer people in no particular order for no particular role. We'll figure that out. We'll figure that stuff out later. Uh, Jose Mourinho, who's now free, which is great. Erling Holland, Cade Cowell, second reference of the show. Jorge Moss, Claudia Reyna, and Dave Serekin. I want these people. It's non negotiable. I'm planting my flag in the ground. It's going to be a good group. I'm really excited. Lots of interesting personalities. Um, very few things in common. And I think we're going to use that to our advantage as teams come in and get clobbered in my floating stadium.
1: So Jorge Mas left of midfield or Oh no, he's making?
2: not playing. I, I mean okay. I'm not I didn't build the full squad here, but uh, actually yeah, Jorge <laughs> could probably take your kids in midfield, so maybe that's fine. Okay, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kinda of doing this on the fly
3: because I totally misunderstood the, the assignment, but I'm thinking my gimmick, my team's gimmick is gonna be we're gonna be a Scottish team, everyone's gonna wear kilts. <laughs> I'm thinking of a name. I'm using a, a word. I'm recycling a word from Come our on. Patreon. No, the Bahookies. So we're going to be oh. the scrolling through list of cities in the U.S., starting with B, the Baltimore the, the Baton Rouge Bahookies nice. is my team. They'll take and that, um, The Red Sticks.
0: Yeah, we're just going to be
3: drunk. If there's anything That's I know about Scottish Louisiana thing.
0: is that they're going to love men wearing skirts. It's going to go well. <laughs>
3: Okay, so maybe we need to choose somewhere where (laughs) that's not going to result in violence, although that might lead into the Scottish angle, I guess. Uh, The Burbank Burbank Bahukis, Burbank—that's California. I know where that is. Um, So yeah, that's uh, that's that's our gimmick, and we're just going to get all the kind of madcap Scottish form of. So Ali McCoyst is going to be the manager, um, who's like John McGinn's got to be in there, although that might be a little bit difficult to price him away from like challenging for the Premier League title with Aston Villa. But yeah, th- th- that's my gimmick from my Ro- team.
1: Rowdy Roddy Piper as
3: coach? Sure, yeah. Why not? We'll get the crankies in. Do you know who the crankies are, <laughs> Ryan?
1: <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is Rowdy Roddy Piper actually Scottish, by the way? Or is it. A uh,
3: or was it who knows? Not sure. So, know. Is it a bit like Rod Stewart? Pretends he's Scottish, isn't it at all. Yeah, there you go.
1: Cool. All right, Ben, thank you very much for that question. We're learning more about XFL every day is a school day. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for listener questioning with us today, good sir. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Thank you very much, Graham Rutherford, for your LQ expertise, even if you didn't understand the assignment at the last question.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Ryan Bailey.
1: And Taylor Rockwell, pleasure as always answering questions with you, my good man.
0: The pleasure was mine. I'm going to have to think about this in a little bit more detail now that I've actually read the question. Apologies for that. Maybe that will be my Patreon video this week is
2: coming up with a better uh, yes. XFL gimmick. Yes, watch. 10 out of 10 woodwatch. watch.
1: <laughs> Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show for more information. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on the feed very shortly, but for now, bye!